Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. I'm your host, Molly Maul, Jamal Forrest. You can find me on Twitter, at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the U, L-E-T-M-U-A-L. Tell it on Twitter, and this is probably the last time. I say it like that, but look, man, football is back. We had Commanders football yesterday. Uh, the Washington Commanders took on the Carolina Panthers, uh, and they lost. The Washington Commanders did in their first preseason game, which is perfectly fine. Um, very unimportant information with that one. But the main important thing is um, the debut of the Commanders, the debut of the, the Commanders uniforms, the debut of everything new in Washington, uh, starting a new era uh, Washington football and Washington commanders have begun. Um, look, man, it was exciting just to overall see <laughs> uh, football again, man. Football for your favorite team or football for the team that you cover or football at the team, you know, that sparks your interest the most, whichever way, you know, you're leaning on this side of things. But, um, you know, it was very interesting and very entertaining, a very entertaining game for a variety of reasons. <laughs> um, first and foremost, let's get into the big ticket item. My guy, Doc Walker. Um, Doc Walker was incredible from start to finish. Um, I've never seen somebody with that type of energy before for a preseason game. Like we've seen Doc Walker before. We've seen him in or, or heard him in the, 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 the radio booth. And, um, that energy is always translated well from audio to emotion, um, hearing the game and, and understanding that, you know, Doc is ready to like, he, he's, he's going to get you <laughs> ready to run through a brick wall and, Hearing him and, and and seeing how this unfolded from a booth standpoint, from a color standpoint, uh, Doc Walker was incredible. I thought I, I thought I was watching the NFC Championship game. <laughs> it's August the 13th. I'm sitting here thinking I'm watching the NFC Championship game. That was crazy, but in a good way, man. So it was incredible to kind of start off the Washington football commanders. I got it. I got to get used to this. But um, the Washington Commanders era, the way that it did, it started off in a great way. Um, very, very entertained um, in, in week one. And I can't wait to see week two and week three of the preseason uh, with Doc Walker in the booth uh, and, and with Kenny Albert. So that one was amazing. Um, I don't know how you all felt about Doc Walker, but that was my guy. That was the that was the main attraction. And I don't even think we was expecting that. <laughs> like we know Doc, but I don't think we was expecting that. Um 
But yeah, before we even get into the game too, um, another thing that stood out to us was the uniforms. I don't know about you. First off, the field was clean. I like the commander's logo in the end zones. Like I like how they did the stadium. I mean, in terms of the the, the field, the the presentation, um, I, I like that. I like the way things looked visually. I mean, it was pleasing to the eye for me. Uh, another thing that was pleasing to the eye was those uniforms. Like clean. There was a lot of conversation, and I was part of it too, about how the uniforms came across from the eye, from an eye perspective and. And seeing it in, in pictures and things like that. And the pictures really didn't do it justice early on. Like, um, it looked a little cherry red and um, very, it lacked burgundy in our eyes and in most people's eyes. Not everybody. Some people did say it was burgundy. Um, obviously, perspective is, is, you know, to the eye of beholder or beauty is to the eye of the beholder, however they say it. But perspective is all on you and how you see things from a color standpoint. But uh, over time, you start to see, like, that is a true burgundy color. Those helmets was clean. That that white uniform with uh, the way they uh, played that that color combination, I loved it. Now, I know everybody ain't gonna really say that they love it, and it's gonna take some time for a lot of people to get adjusted to. Or may, they may not even just like anything related to <laughs> this new rebrand. Um, and that's that's perfectly fine. You know, it is what it is. Um, but there are some people out here who really liked it. So uh, Doc Walker was incredible. Those uniforms clean i want to see the other combinations hopefully they roll them out um at least the red or look at me <laughs> at least the burgundy ones um at least i hope they roll those out throughout the preseason maybe they get one against kansas city or or baltimore um i just want to see what those look like too but yeah those white ones i will be perfectly fine if they wore those <laughs> if they wore those about uh 10 games this year wear them white ones 10 games this year where the black ones probably about two games. I know I know what they really is. Like the blackout game is gonna be against Minnesota, I believe. Um, so I know they're gonna wear it at least one time that we know of. But look, give me like ten games with the white and 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 do the rest mix 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 matching <laughs> um and, and go from there. Uh but look, man, those uniforms are clean again. Doc Walker was good, but uh we're here to talk some football and and I think the biggest thing for all of us is that um when football is here it drowns out everything else for the short term with this football team. Um, regardless of what issues you have with off the field stuff or Dan Snyder or um, I mean, eventually we'll talk about the Jason Wright incident with the reporter and the, the reporter incident altogether. Um, and for those who don't know, again, we'll touch on it. But today is all about football. This episode is all about football. So, um, you know, regardless of, you know, what your issues is with the team, if you are a fan of football, if you are a fan of the commanders and you want to see them win, um, you're invested in 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 days like yesterday, which is three hours of sitting in front of your TV or sitting in front of your laptop watching some football. So um, let's go ahead and talk about the winners and losers of the first ever commanders football game. So let's get into some general observations before we get into the winners and losers. Um, we'll go offense and defense all together. Uh, Curtis Samuel was back. He looked fine. Played two drives for Washington. Um, the two drives that the starters played. And uh, look, first and foremost, let's go ahead and did all of the noise for now. It is not a storyline until something surfaces, but having Curtis Samuel on the field, he looked normal. There was nothing off about him. Um, they made sure to target him early just to get his feet wet, 
And I thought if you all listened to the pregame uh, or preview, I, I thought that they were going to do that for Jahan. Um, and Jahan really only got one target downfield. And uh, that was a, a good opportunity for him to make a play. But, you know, he couldn't connect or excuse me, Wentz couldn't connect with Jahan. So that was just a missed opportunity. Unfortunate missed opportunity. But um, they did do what I expected them to do for Jahan for Curtis. And that was, you know, make sure that they schemed some things up. The first thing that they did was actually um, call a bubble screen or receiver screen for him. And um, he was able to get his feet wet that way. And then later in the second drive, I believe, uh, they targeted him as well with a, a motion play where, um, you know, he can play off of the tight end that was aligned to his left um, right next to him. So um, they was able to target him on third down and convert a third down look. Uh, in the plus side of the field. So it was good to see Curtis Samuel around and moving on the field and getting uh, some targets and things like that. So very, very, very excited uh, that Curtis Samuel was back and and just that uh, you can see a little bit of what he can provide for your team. Now, it wasn't no big plays, no explosive plays, but um, see him being dangerous at the line of scrimmage and having opportunities with the ball in his hands as quickly as possible can create bigger opportunities for the offense so um interesting we can get all that noise for now um let's see how he revolves or continues on throughout the preseason and, and what they want to do for him moving forward that offensive line man pass protection stood up fine it was very uh good throughout the the first two drives and uh, it was actually pretty good altogether um until late in the fourth quarter uh when sam howell took over and um, that had a lot to do with, you know, who was in there. You know, it is what it is. But even still, that starting offensive line was really good. I think Cosme held up well in his one-on-ones. If you all remember, that was one of the people that I mentioned. I just wanted to see what he looked like. Cosme held his own um, throughout the entire game that he played, I guess. Um, so good to see that. Um, and I hopefully we can see some extended opportunities uh, as, the game, as the weeks move along. And as the starters play a little bit more time, um, I don't know how they're going to do the second or third game, like which one is going to be their dress rehearsal type of thing. But definitely interested in seeing how this unfolds. Um, but, yeah, he, he looked he looked really good. And um, I like the fact, you know, he played up against, I think he had an edge rusher and an interior defensive lineman that he played up against. Obviously, he, he had one rep against Matt Ioannidis where he stuffed uh, and, and thwarted uh, Ioannidis' rush attempt. Uh, he, he really, he really stalemated made him. He couldn't really do anything. I and I just couldn't. Um, it was good to see how he reacted against um, a couple of different uh, pass rush types. So that was really good. Armani Rogers, a guy that I mentioned as well. He looked good in his first ever game as a tight end. Like, remember, he was a converted quarterback out of Ohio University. And for a guy who never played tight end before, he's he's had plenty of reps in practice and in training camps and off-season practices, this is his first ever game as a tight end, and he looked good, uh, caught the ball well, natural hands. And to be honest with you all, I'm like I, we all find our preseason darlings and things like that, but Armani has something there um, that I don't think has been unlocked yet, uh, and I don't know to what level he can be good, like to what degree he'll stand out, but he has something there, and I think. Um, Washington needs to feed him this offseason. I, I mean, excuse me, this preseason. I don't know if you all noticed, but Samus Reyes was dressed yesterday, but he did not play. Um, and I'm not sitting here going to draw conclusions based on Armani's time, but Armani and Curtis Hodges played a lot. Uh, Samus Reyes, I don't think, played at all. 
Um, he definitely didn't play on offense, so I don't know how that worked for these guys, but I liked what I saw from Armani Rogers, man, and uh, he looked fluid. He looked natural. He was the safety blanket for Carson Wentz uh, when he was on the field, and um, I liked I liked everything about Armani in his first game as a tight end. So um, I want to see, especially, you know, hopefully I get an opportunity to get the All-22 um, and get lucky. I don't know. It's going to be hard to get preseason All-22 tape, but um, just have, having that opportunity to see, like, how Armani runs his routes. Um, like on the play that Curtis Samuel caught that third down on the second drive, that third and third and eight, I believe, or something, or maybe third and two or something. Um, Armani Rogers was the guy that he was aligned next to, and Armani had to defeat press coverage. But in that same vein, um, I think it was a very good play call from Scott Turner because he understood it was man coverage, or maybe it, it was just a man beater in case they ran man coverage on that play, and. Um, or maybe even Carson Wentz checked into it. Who knows? But uh, either way, man coverage and having um, Armani Rogers go up against a, a press corner, uh, he didn't really release, um, have the cleanest release. But in that same vein, he was able to clear out for Curtis Samuel by just pressing his man and pushing him upfield. So um, I just want to see what his routes look like and have more exposure to that. Uh, and maybe uh, I, I get lucky. But I liked what I saw from Armani Rogers in his first game ever as a tight end. Defensively, ladies, gentlemen, we need a nickel corner. Um, <laughs> we need a nickel corner bad. Um, the starting unit needs Benjamin St. Juice back in the lineup. And uh, Coach Rivera spoke after the game was over. And, you know, they asked, a uh, reporter asked, you know, why Benjamin didn't play. And um, he had mentioned that his hamstring got tight. So Rivera said that he just wanted to be smart. They're not going to put him out there and expose him in the preseason. Um, a guy that they're coming uh, along, oh, excuse me, a guy that they're counting on to come along and play for us. He said it tightened up after Thursday's practice. So he came in Friday, was sore. Um, so there he was. And Danny Johnson was in his place, I believe, at times. Um, and then he also played on the boundary, uh, Danny Johnson did. But um, we're going to get into Danny uh, as we move forward in this podcast. But uh, yeah, that we need a nickel corner, and I think Benjamin St. Juice is that guy. But yeah, that was that wasn't. Yeah, we're gonna talk. About, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that. But Derek Forrest, moving on. Um, Derek Forrest got some burn with the starting defensive unit in that three safety look early on, and um, clearly that's their first go to when they implement the Buffalo nickel packages. Uh, and, and Derek actually, you know, he flashed quite a bit. Um, he made some tackles at the line of scrimmage as well once. Actually, he played with the when he played with the starters, he made some tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, he didn't really have he had good coverage on a third down call, like on a two minute situation for the Panthers in the first half. Um, but you know he had some good coverage opportunities, uh, and while he there was a completion on him in that good coverage situation in that two minute drill, um, the ball had to be perfect, and it and it was. Um, you can't really ask for better coverage than what Derek Forrest had, and uh, for the most part, I think Derek Forrest had a, had a good day, and uh, I think it's good to see him in that Buffalo nickel role, uh, or excuse me, have him on the field because Derek actually played deep while Cam Curl was in the in the box um, playing towards the slot, playing towards the, uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. So that is kind of my first look at seeing that three safeties and. Derek Forrest was actually in the secondary versus actually being in the box. Um, so that was interesting. Um, that was interesting. Uh, William Jackson III and Bobby McCain 
very good coverage in a cover three situation um, where I think it was Baker Mayfield challenged um, William Jackson third deep and obviously challenged Bobby McCain in that same vein because of, uh, you know, targeting that area. So for them to be on the same page and uh, mitigate or take away that deep shot, uh, that was that was good to see. They were on the same page, and uh, Bobby laid a really good hit. And I told people, I don't know if I told this podcast. Obviously, we're just starting with three episodes in. Um, but I, I had a lot of faith in Bobby McCain coming back in his second year with Washington. Um, Bobby didn't really get a good rap from a from an overall standpoint by the fan base, but I actually think that he played well. He played fast last year. He understood, you know, his assignments. Um, he did get beat a couple times, but you know, safeties get beat. Um, he jumped on some some bad some bad opportunities like and then miscommunication ultimately does mess up a secondary and that's not all on one person but at the same time um, overall he hits well he tackles well he's around the ball in terms of uh, his speed and being able to uh, uh, pursue the ball and, and whatever, whatever opportunity so I just like what Bobby McCain is doing um, for the commanders um, so yeah that opportunity seeing them get tested deep and Bobby being there as the deep third uh, safety that was really good to see um jamie davis um up and down performance uh but mostly it, it wasn't like negative um it actually had good opportunities and uh, one bad opportunity where he missed the tackle on baker mayfield early on i think it was actually their first drive um when baker scrambled out of the pocket and and, and alluded to the right side and um jamin peeled off his peeled off of his man to try and make a play on Baker Mayfield and uh, just just flat out missed the tackle. But that was just one noticeable opportunity. Another opportunity that's probably going to get unnoticed by by uh, quite a few people is because uh, he didn't make he didn't make the tackle, but he made the play uh, filling the gaps well in the run game. Um, Carolina tried to run. I think it was a trap play uh, with a lead fullback. So right up the a gap, right be- right beside the center, essentially and. Um, uh, Jamin was able to recognize that pretty quickly and he filled the gap by taking on that fullback head on and uh, forced the running back to bounce outside of that gap and it was pretty good to see because um, again when we talk about being physical and uh, taking on those blocks and allowing other guys to make plays that's a very important part for a linebacker and Jamin was um, he wasn't the best at taking on blocks and understanding how to take on blocks last year so seeing that physicality in the first preseason game and him not even thinking twice about it was really good to see um so Derek Forrest ultimately made that play uh, in terms of tackling but Jamin Davis was the one who set it up for uh his teammate Fidarian Mathis looked good uh for his first game uh in the run game specifically uh, and that's kind of what they brought him in here for and they're going to work to develop that pass game or that pass rush but early on uh, they played him at the one, excuse me, let me be more specific. Uh, he played, uh, started out, I think, at the one tech. Um, and then they, when they got closer down to the to the red zone, Carolina did, they started playing him at nose um, over top of the center. So um, the one tech is in, in between the center and the guard. And uh, he looked good against the run. Um, he was shedding well. He was able to find the football. He made plays. He actually defeated some of the blocks in, in the zone run schemes, which is the reach blocks, you know. Uh, so he had a really good understanding and recognition of the the type of plays that he was up against, specifically against the run. Um, so I liked what I saw from Fedarian Mathis, man. He looked good in his first game. Uh, I would say, too, like, 
I mean, there's always uh, pieces of games where people can improve, and I think his pass rush uh, was lacking in terms of uh, effort. Not saying that he he didn't want to give effort. I just think that you know it was just the aspect of his game where you have to you know get find the energy <laughs> to push the pocket. So that's what I'm saying. It's not about him not wanting to. Uh, it's just more about the energy side uh, and trying to get to the quarterback and uh, push that pocket and things like that. So um, it, I, I like I would like to see how he plays moving forward against the pass, but definitely like what I saw against the run. Um, really good. He made a he, he made a couple of plays against the run um, that was really important and really uh, impactful. So Stephen Parker, I don't have much to say about him. He had good energy. Stephen Parker, I think was number sixteen. He was a, he's an undrafted free agent um, in the twenty eighteen season, but uh, he's a fourth year DB. Uh, played in Miami, Dallas, New York prior to this, New York Giants. Um, so he was actually in our division. That's probably why the coaches understood him or excuse me, why the coaches have him on this roster. They probably have some familiarity with, um, Stephen Parker, but fourth year DB, man, he came across the screen several times in the second half. So that was actually pretty good to see from, uh, for us, at least an unknown guy. So, you know, we'll see about Steven, but you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. He's just on my radar right now. It's nothing in particular about Steven that says he's going to make this roster just yet. Um, Percy Butler. Percy Butler. Uh, you know, a lot of people are looking at this guy uh, as the potential, like, free safety that we all need. And uh, Percy Butler did uh, play majority post. In terms of playing, being the free safety, he played there a majority of the time. Uh, he also did have some slot and nickel look. So I think the coaches are trying to expose him to other responsibilities just to see how he responds from a production standpoint. Uh, and in the slot slash nickel, I guess, um, he did have a couple of good reps in pass coverage, but in run support is where he struggled. Um, and run support was actually one of the things I think that we talked about in the, the preview as well, um, being able to tackle and things like that. And uh, he missed the tackle at the line of scrimmage in the hole that ultimately led to like a 10-yard maybe 12 yard run. Um, so just observing that, uh, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with him being a post player, being in the safe, being the, 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 the single high safety or just being a free safety for, for Washington. But I think, um, what you see when he gets closer to the line of scrimmage is something that he's going to have to work on more because if they can run to his side, <laughs> anytime that he's in the nickel or slot position, uh, I don't think teams would hesitate to do that. So, I like to see more games, obviously, with him in that slot nickel and maybe see if that was just a uh, an unfortunate play. But um, I did see that in his tape where he was at, uh, what, Louisiana, <laughs> uh, Louisiana Lafayette. So um, that'll be something interesting to see moving forward. But overall, Percy, Percy Butler was OK in coverage. Um, nothing spectacular, but uh, he also he, just, he was just there uh, in a good way. But I like to see some more things in, in terms of run support if he's going to play closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, and then, you know, outside of the game itself, man, general observations, Chase Young, man. I don't know if you all noticed this, but I, I surely, surely did. But he was everyone's biggest cheerleader um, in, in a good way. It's not to mock him. Uh, he was there in everybody's ear after uh, after they made big plays whenever they went to the sideline hyping him up. I know when Brian Robinson got in the game and they put him on the side, I think after uh, one big play, they took him out like probably a couple plays, I, I believe. 
in favor of Jonathan Williams as his sub. And when he went to the sideline, Chase Young was right there. <laughs> he made sure to walk over there and find Brian Robinson, man. And uh, that was that was really good to see just Chase Young's energetic self. Like, it's never changed. He was like that as a rookie. And uh, I think that's his mentality. That's always been his mentality when he's on the sideline. So to see him geeked up for everybody out there that was contributing to uh, the day, that was really good. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get into our winners and losers of the very first Commanders football game. All right, so first up, we have Carson Wentz as a winner. Um, Carson Wentz, man, he, he didn't have a bad game. Uh, he had a safe game, a, a very um, smooth game. Um, overall, what was his numbers? Carson went, let's see. Carson went 10 of 13, 74 yards. Um, again, very, very bland, but, you know, that's it is what it is, right? Uh 74 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. I mean, five, 7.5. Let me go ahead and start this whole thing over because I just butchered it. Carson Wentz went 10 of 13, 74 yards, 5.7 yards attempt, 89 quarterback rating. Um, I think his biggest thing that you all notice is he was finding that that check, not, his safety valve in a sense. Like Armani Rogers was that guy. Um, again, when we talked about Armani earlier, his hands and being available for the quarterback um, that was timely, but it was also impressive uh, just to see that for his first game. But back to Carson, um, he did take his deep shots. He challenged um, a couple cornerbacks. He challenged, uh, I don't know who the guy was that was checking Terry on a couple plays. He Terry drew a holding call on him one time, and then I think the very next play, Carson took a shot deep to this guy. I think Terry ran a double move like a sluggo, which is a you know a slant and go for those who don't know. Just They just call it sluggo. Um, he beat him initially, but ball was underthrown by Carson Wentz. But ultimately, you know, he took that deep shot just to, you know, obviously challenge the defense and just say, say F it and, and throw it and see see what happens. But uh, he took that shot downfield. But ultimately, you know, he led uh, a lot of his targets came to the tight ends. And, um, you know, he targeted Curtis Samuel a couple of times. But ultimately found his guys. He took he took the proper uh, reads and took the proper decisions and made the best out of the situations when he was on the field throwing the football. Looked comfortable in the pocket for the most part too. Um, so yeah, that was pretty good to see from Carson Wentz, man, and uh, a, a, a C plus game, a B minus game uh, in the short opportunity that he had. Uh, I wouldn't say anything more than that. Um, but yeah, next up, winners, Brian Robinson. Um, look, the Brian Robinson drive may establish himself as the lead back for Washington. When Antonio Gibson fumbled in the second drive, Brian Robinson came back in and uh, was uh, the lead guy on that drive. He had eight touches on a 14-play drive. He had eight touches. Um, so, I mean, both in the screen game, or excuse me, in the pass game, I think he had three catches, and I think he had five carries. Uh, obviously, the last touch that he had was the touchdown at the goal line, so very good to see from Brian Robinson, like the division was there, his quickness, uh, his balance, man, he, he's a very strong back end. Um, some of those carries, like it was one particular carry where uh, he actually got tackled in the backfield, but um, his legs never stopped moving. And at a on a second and seven, I believe he put Washington in a situation uh, where it went from possibly like a third and nine or third and eight to a third and 
four, third and three that Washington ultimately converted because they scored on that drive. So um, Brian Robinson, man, was seeing the field well and uh, breaking tackles, man, in the screen game in the open field. And uh, it, it was it was good to see from a running back who uh, was as big as him. Like not saying that he's slow or anything, but when you see that six one guy that's running that four four five, I believe, or something, um, and moving that well, that effective. Uh, that's that's an encouraging sight to see from your third round back end. Um, you know, we'll see moving forward. I, I, I did exaggerate. Like, I don't know if he's going to be the lead back for Washington, but I think if you have an outing like he did yesterday where it's continuous or it's consistent, because um, you're averaging uh, Brian Robinson, you're averaging 4.3 yards a carry. Uh, he went 6 for 26 on his, in his debut uh, and a touchdown. So, if you're averaging that four four point three yards per carry, man, um, that is that is an encouraging sight, and uh, it can be even better, you know, with more exposure. So, I mean, it could be worse too, but I don't I don't think a, a natural running back who's uh, with that talent, the vision that he has, the quickness that he has, um, I don't think that uh, uh, Robinson is is somewhat who's going to be a, a guy who's struggling to transition to the NFL. So, I'm interested. And seeing Brian Robinson moving forward, that storyline is going to continue to grow, especially if you have a guy in Antonio Gibson who can't uh, take hold of the football and, and, and possess it and, and keep this this um, this team out of inopportune or unfortunate positions because of his turnovers and uh, his looseness with the, the football. So um, we'll get to Antonio Gibson, obviously, but that is Brian Robinson. He is a winner. Next up. Dax Milne. Um, Dax Milne was on punt return. He played a lot with Sam Howell uh, in the second half. Um, Dax got a lot of looks or got a couple looks. He got three looks. I exaggerated again, <laughs> but he did get enough looks to where you you got it. You kind of got exposed to who he was because um, you didn't see too many opportunities last year with Dax Milne. But um, you know you saw his acceleration on the play. I think uh, Sam Howell connected with him um, in the second half and. Uh, he had like a 23-yard reception, but a lot of that was yak yards, um, yards after catch. And you saw where his explosion, I mean, his acceleration was. He accelerated really quickly, got upfield, um, had some, a little bit of natural vision, man, to find that open space in the uh, the middle of the field and, and get those yards. So I like what I saw from Dax Milne uh, in his debut, or his commander's debut. <laughs> um, he was Washington football team guy, but in his commander's debut, I liked what I saw from Dax Milne. Uh, and then we have the guy on offense. Um, I, I have one defensive player, but, uh, the guy was Sam Howell. Um, and I'll tell you why Sam Howell performance was important for Washington and important for Howell himself. Um, you know, he made a very good impression his first game. You know, he seemed comfortable. He took his shots, uh, when he needed to, he made plays when his, with his legs when he needed to. Dropped a beauty on the sideline to Kelvin Harmon downfield. And unfortunate that Kelvin uh, dropped it. Uh, it was in the, I don't think he expected the ball to go through the defender's hands, in which it did. Uh, the defender didn't even touch it. So it went straight to Kelvin and uh, he, he ultimately dropped it. And I don't know how, because like it was, it was one of those passes, like, you know, when um, somebody has such good placement on the ball, like the accuracy. Like it's hard to drop. Like it's that's kind of the placement what it was with with um Sam Howell downfield. And I think one of the best things that Sam Howell had heading to the NFL was that that downfield accuracy. Like 
anything past 20 plus is probably money for him. I mean, it's unfortunate he actually did have some uh, missed opportunities downfield. Um, within the 30, the plus side of the field, uh, he wasn't able to connect downfield with some guys. I, I can't remember the, the receiver's name where he, he took a shot into the end zone, but uh, two two bad misses on the day, actually three bad misses on the day. One of one of the other ones that uh, was towards Kelvin Harmon was actual bad ball. I think Kelvin ran like a curl route on the sideline, and um, Sam Howe either is miscommunication or just a bad ball, but Sam Howe essentially threw it way way further out of uh, towards the sideline than where Kelvin was sitting. Um, and maybe Sam Howe assumed that Kelvin was going to uh, push towards the sideline after he broke down on his route, but Kelvin sat down after he curled versus moving towards the sideline. So who knows, but I, I would lean that that was just a bad ball by Howe. But ultimately, Howe converted some big third downs. Um, and it's funny because Rivera wanted to see Sam Howe in some two-minute situations, and he got that plus some. Uh, you know, let a fourth-quarter comeback down two possessions. I'm going to call I'm going to give him that stat because, you know, ultimately you get four, you get credit for fourth-quarter comebacks, I believe, if you win as well. Um, so, uh, statistically, if we're, if this was a regular season, he wouldn't get that stat, but, um, this preseason, it's whatever. Uh, so he led a fourth quarter comeback down two possessions. That was really good to see. He took some sacks, uh, took some hits in the pocket, but seemed much more comfortable there than a Taylor Heineke would be. Taylor Heineke doesn't really sit in the pocket wheel. Like he bounces, um, and hops, but ultimately, uh, if he's not, it's like this internal clock ticks off. And he's ready to scramble. Um, but but again, how as a guy who seemed much more comfortable in the pocket, will sit there and find his man uh, downfield. And, you know, he lose, uses his legs when necessary, but he scrambles to throw the football, not necessarily to run it. Um, and at least that's what I saw in our first game. Uh, it looked like he was ready to throw it and he wanted to, you know, win with his arm. He did take off a couple of times, obviously, right? Um, his first touchdown was, I think, a 17-yard scramble that he had and um, that was that was very impressive within itself because when the middle of the field is that wide open and it's you and the linebacker to beat or you and the linebacker there, uh, he he got the linebacker out of the way with a pump fake and um, a juke move and just went right past him. So, you know, Sam Howe does use his legs when necessary in terms of scrambling, but uh, he is a thrower first. Like he is that throwing quarterback, and I think that's the distinctive difference between Howe and a Heineke. Uh, while Heineke is is a gamer in a sense. Um, how is this a natural quarterback? And he'll do what it takes to win. But uh, if he if he's going to throw the football, you know he's not going to he's not going to take off. You know when he can see receivers downfield. So um, I like the vision that he had, um, finding his guys in the pocket. Uh, and again, like he missed out on some opportunities, but the comeback overall was very impressive. Um, and then we have Daniel Wise. Uh, he got some pass rush skills, man. Uh, I liked what I saw from Daniel Rice in this game. Uh, like that first sack that he had um, using a swim move and beating two offensive linemen to get to the quarterback, P.J. Walker. Um, that was very impressive. And then before he got the sack, he had a quarterback hit on another drive. Um, and, and that was really good. So I, I like like the pressure that he put, put on the quarterback. I think he had two pressures overall. Uh, very impressive. He can be – clearly he's shown that he's, he can be in interior defensive line depth. Uh, playing at the one technique, 
Again, that's between the center and guard. I like that. And, you know, Washington was really looking for, because when you lose a Tim Settle, when you lose him at Ioannidis, uh, that interior line help is, is going to be essential. And somebody has to step up or they're going to look for outside help. So to see Daniel Wise in that situation and being a pass rusher too, being able to win, um, that is going to be, and he won against starters too, by the way. Like he was playing with the starters uh, today or yesterday, excuse me. So it's something to keep in my, uh, mind, an uh, eye on when I say that he may be able to be a situational pass rusher over Deron Payne. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that right now off of one game, but because of the fact that he was in, he was in the game with the starters and they wanted to see what he looked like uh, as an interior rusher. And he, he provided that pressure for Washington and, and Jack Del Rio's defense. Um, it's something to keep an eye on because again, I, I told you all last week or, or last episode, pass rush from defensive line is something I wanted to see. And uh, Payne does one with quickness. He's able to, you know, he's able to slice and get into the backfield um, at times and create that pressure, but it's not necessarily due to the, the, the skills that I just alluded to with Daniel Wise. Like he used a swim move. He, he had hand usage that was consistent in the reps that I saw. Um, so I, I just think that if Wise can provide more, this is something to look into moving forward. He may be a situational pass rusher uh, for the interior defensive line moving forward. Um, and, and then have pain and like pain and, and, and John Allen and, uh, Fedarian Mathis, they'll they'll probably be in majority on the run plays and things like that. So something to see uh, moving forward. But next up, let's go ahead and get into the losers of the day. And I think we should start off with the guy, everybody's guy, Antonio Gibson. <sighs> Man, um, fumbled again, fumbles again. Uh, Second drive of the first game, right after, like immediately following a successful third down conversion, he fumbles. Um, and before I even get back to the the fumble, I, I want to talk about some other things because the fumbling is going to be the longer conversation. But um, Antonio Gibson fumbling uh, was one thing, but he also had one noticeably poor pass pro rep. Um, and that was early in the game where he lunged at a linebacker uh, and ultimately almost got the linebacker that he lunged at because he missed the pass pro ultimately almost got, excuse me, a strip sack on Carson Wentz. But Carson was able to get the ball out cleanly. So no harm, no foul. But in the film room or in evaluation standpoints, um, it's going to be interesting to see how they evaluate Antonio Gibson and pass protection. This was an issue last year as well, so it's not uncommon. Um, but if it continues in year three, like that's just something noticeable. Um, but also, secondly, there was a hole that he missed in the inside zone run um, where he, he bounced it outside, which is fine. He ultimately got like seven yards on the play. But I think if he had a little bit more patience um, and saw that uh, if he bent the run between the uh, the centers, the center and the guard, the backside guard, um, he probably would have had even an even bigger play. Um, again, all 22 wouldn't be out in. Uh, maybe from my view and in, in that vision um, that I saw that or the angle that I saw, it probably would have been hard for him to get to. But I did see a cutback hole. Um, and I just I don't know what he was seeing based on the angle that we saw. But uh, I just know that looking at his helmet, <laughs> he didn't even bother looking at that cutback lane. So um, he missed that hole. And now we get back to the fumbling. Um, 
fumbled again, second drive in the first game, like we said. And uh that issue it's it's such a it's such a detailed or layered conversation because um, you know, you, you dealt with what six fumbles last year. Uh and I think for a guy to you know, mentally overcome that throughout the offseason, right? And say, like, I'm ready for this fresh start. Like, this is probably what he's saying. I'm ready for a fresh start, a new year, uh, just to prove myself again. And, you know, I, there was a lot of talk about him cutting weight. Like, he lost uh, or he, he went down 5 to 6% in terms of body fat. Like, he, he shredded up. He made sure that he took care of his health a little bit better from his diet. Like, he talked about that. That's on record. Like, all of these things to to make him look like a better running back or look like a better athlete. And that's not a knock. Like, that's true. Like, just genuinely speaking, um, it made him feel better. And and maybe, like, when people look at these reasons for why you may be doing something or, or you want to take your health seriously or you want to become a, a better athlete, like, you you do these things. You, you, you change your diet. You improve. And uh, that was one aspect of his game that he was focused on is, is becoming a better athlete uh, and, and shredding some fat that he had. Uh, some unhealthy weight so that was impressive to see and now you get into practice the one that I went to uh, where he had two fumbles one uh, in between the 20s but then one at the goal line Um, that wasn't good to see at all and obviously the the first day in which fans were going to see some contact like it was some really it was some tackling in that practice uh, it became a big story because you have two fumbles in one practice session um, or one practice period is very alarming but based on your history at that like what you're coming back from the season that you're coming back from so when you fumble um it's it's alarming and you fumble in the second drive it's it's alarming and you know who's behind you brian robinson is behind you jd mckissick is behind you um they have a stable jonathan williams is having good reps like jonathan williams is a guy who had uh five carries 31 yards he averaged six yards a carry um he had some he they they benched Antonio Gibson on the fourth down situation like they put Jonathan Williams in to get that that first down um so it's, it's just interesting to see and I know Ron Rivera spoke after the game and um he was very blunt about Antonio Gibson but uh, he said that Antonio's got to run harder uh when he starts to shuffle and go sideways that's when he struggles but when he goes hard we see uh we saw that and uh, when he came back in the second half, and I think he just meant, because Antonio didn't play in the second half, but I think he meant uh, second quarter maybe. Um, but second half, I'm just reading this quote. Um, he put his shoulder down and ran hard. That is, that is what he's capable of doing. That is when he is at his best. So we talked about that. I'm very pleased with how he came back in the second half and ran the ball. Again, I think he just meant second quarter. So um, that's that. But ultimately, man, uh, there's going to be a continuous storyline, and they're going to keep giving him chances. And I think the best thing for him is that it's preseason. And, um, but the, the worst thing for him is that, you know, this narrative that he has, and if he continues to fumble, um, isn't going to be something that is, uh, like you talent only can take you so far, like, or athletic ability, excuse me. Like people, people can see the athletic profile that he has and why he, why he can be, um, a playmaker, but, you know, playmaking potential is one thing. Like how, when is that potential going to come or potential is going to come to fruition? And if you keep fumbling, you're going to lose those opportunities to show that, show that uh, playmaking potential that people believe that you have. And uh, also vision wise, 
you have a guy in Brian Robinson who's naturally better at doing this um, because he's a natural running back. And you have to work even harder to, to hit the film room, but also trust your instincts. Like if you aren't if you aren't developing in that aspect, you're going to get challenged ultimately. And uh, for for Gibson, man, I felt bad for him last uh, yesterday, man, because after he fumbled, you know, he went to the sideline, dejected, rightfully so, and um, you know he was he was beating himself up over it. Uh, I think it was Charles Leno who had to come to him on the sideline and be like, "Hey, bro, chill, like relax, man. You're gonna get more opportunities." But he knew he the pressure is on Antonio Gibson from a a, a running back starting job standpoint the pressure is on antonio gibson and he knows better so to see him fumble in which way he did was which is interesting um and not in the best way so that was that uh, second person i have in the losers category is danny johnson um we talked about the nickels position and we know that uh we know that benjamin st juice was out due to a hamstring but danny johnson was was playing there for the most part with the starters um and he was one of the sole reasons for a key conversion, key third down and eight or third and long situation. Um, I think it was a cover one situation and uh, Danny Johnson allowed the quarter, uh, excuse me, the receiver to, you know, win against the leverage that he was playing against. And, you know, oftentimes you don't want defenders or receivers, excuse me, to cross your face uh, when you're, when you're taking away one side and Danny Johnson was able or allowed that to happen um, in the slot. Uh, for a big play to, to extend the drive, an already long drive at that. But not only that, I think he had like three or four more receptions on him towards the, the second or the second quarter towards the end of the half. So for Danny Johnson and understanding, you know, his situation, um, there's guys behind him that's ready to take his spot. Danny Johnson is just a guy. And for Danny Johnson, um, I think that, we understand that he's been here for like four or five years. But when you have a guy in Christian Holmes, the rookie, um, that's, you know, trying to make a name for himself, they're going to start testing him out <laughs> in positions that you play. Like yesterday, they played they played Christian Holmes, I think, on a boundary for the most part. But They'll probably they'll probably start, especially when Benjamin comes back, they'll probably start mixing and matching and seeing who can play nickel. And maybe they think that Danny's gonna be a good backup. But if they can trust um uh Percy Butler at slot, or they can put uh Cam Curl in slot, like when the real like when the games actually count and they can count on like some of their best players to do something that Danny Johnson is doing uh in preseason. Danny Johnson is going to be a guy who is either on a chopping block, if not um, like ultimately benched or, or just special teams guy. So um, Danny Johnson, man, he, he didn't have a rough, he, he had a rough out and didn't have the best of days, uh, at least for me. And even with his cushion, played too far off at times. And when you're 5'9", too, because he got mossed on the sideline one time. And when um, you have a guy who's 5'9", that's going to have to be on the boundary at times, and you're, you're, you have a 6'2", on up i don't know who i don't know how tall the guy was but he made it look easy he made it look like he was six seven and danny johnson couldn't compete with him so um there's a lot of things that was going on with danny that just wasn't the best of days uh some of which he couldn't control but uh, in terms of the height thing but outside of that like that's all that's all danny uh he has to he has to perform better um and then lastly taylor heineke um look taylor heineke laid a 15 play drive and he was also the reason why the drive imploded 
um, three straight poor throws in plus territory in scoring scoring range that led to an INT and a turnover on downs. Um, it's some things that we saw last year, the same things and uh, two inaccurate throws. Well, all three were inaccurate, but I'm saying prior to the interception, two inaccurate throws, two poor decisions. Um, and then he sails, he sailed two passes on that, uh, in that plus side of the field. But the last one that he sailed ultimately got intercepted. It wasn't even catchable by the receiver that he was targeting. But, um, the issue that I have, or the, the thing that I want to put on notice is that again, when we talk about the difference between Howell and Heineke, Howell is much more comfortable in the pocket. He is a quarterback who is trying to throw the football versus like trying to make plays with his legs. Um, how will extend plays uh, with his legs, but that doesn't mean he's looking to take off and run if he doesn't have to. And uh, he's a he's he's a much better quarterback uh, in terms of his comfortability, um, seeing downfield. Uh, his eyes aren't really dropping, um, and at least he showed him the first the first the first game his first exposure to Washington fans um, and to to other people. Uh, that's interested in, in Sam Howe. So him seeing that on the pro level for Heineke to um, continue what he was doing last year, like he is who he is. His best play, his best, his best ability is extended drives through his legs and uh, just his scrambling ability, his his gamer mentality. Like he is the backyard quarterback that's going to make plays, make things happen in that regard. So it's cool. Like it's nothing wrong with Taylor. Like he is who he is. Um, he's an, he's a good backup, but I just want people to understand we talked about that conversation with Sam Howe uh, the last episode. If you're going to show, you know, what you can do from a, a former or prior first-round projection like in 2020, um, if you were once projected as a first-round quarterback and you slipped the next year for various reasons, some of which were out of your control, then you're going to show that you're capable of playing on the next level regardless of, you know, where you were drafted. And I think that was the situation for Taylor Heineke. Um he had, uh, excuse me, that was a situation for Sam Howe, but Taylor Heineke didn't have the best of days. And I think uh, with with things like that continuing from an accuracy, an accuracy standpoint uh, and also inopportune turnovers because of, you know, the way that you're playing specifically is not is not the fact that the receiver made, uh, made a mistake or anything like that. If you are making these type of mistakes, um, all it takes is for Sam Howe to have a really good preseason for them to consider Sam Howe being the second string quarterback. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, again, not too much to lead into. Don't take everything I'm saying in, in terms of uh, moving forward and saying like jumping conclusions. Excuse me. Don't I'm not jumping conclusions. We're making observations. Uh, but these are these are our first initial notes for the Washington Commanders first football game against the Carolina Panthers. So uh, with that being said, we're out of here. Next up, we do have a guest. Anthony Armstrong is scheduled to be on the show. Um, we're going to chop it up with Anthony, get his breakdown on the team, his observations from the game, uh, and dive into some other topics. So with that being said, we out of here. Uh, enjoy y'all day, man. And until next time, peace. Peace.